0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. If you would, please open your Bibles to Psalm 42. If you are in the Red Bible, it is page 469, Psalm 42. One of the things I love about the psalms is that it is full of raw and honest emotions. Uh, Raw and honest emotions that all of us feel, but often are either too scared or too confused or too embarrassed to express to God and to others. And today's psalm is no exception as it writes on the topic or out of the place of a spiritual depression. That's what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls it. So let's, let's look together. Psalm 42, page 469 in the Red Bible. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your ways have gone over me. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why, have, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the Psalms. The psalms that so often can put words to what we are feeling inside. And so God, pray today that as we look at your holy and inspired and inerrant word, that it would resonate with our own soul. And that we would see the light in the midst of times of darkness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I moved up to Green Bay from St. Louis, I don't know if I ever experienced any form of depression at all, Um, but then I started hitting February and March in Wisconsin. And I noticed I started to get some seasonal depression during that time. And there would be times where I would just say to my wife, hey, I'm sad. I just need to go up and lay in bed. And she would allow me to do that. You know, if I were to choose a time of year to preach this sermon... It would probably be late February or early March because many of you struggle with a depression of sorts during that time. But many of you also know that depression is not quarantine to winter months. Many of you know depression because it has lived with you for days and months and even years. Some of you have gone through spiritual depression Some of you are going through a spiritual depression. Some of you will go through a spiritual depression and never have. And it's so important for you who have not yet gone through a spiritual depression, probably many of our children, because I don't want it to catch you off guard. When it comes your way, I don't want you to think, oh, this isn't what a Christian is supposed to experience. Nor do I want you to think that God has given up on you. And so it's so important that you know this is an experience Of faithful Christians, many of the heroes in our faith. R.C. Sproul comments on this, and he doesn't call this spiritual depression, but the dark night of the soul. And this is what he says it's a pretty lengthy. lengthy statement, but it's, it's helpful. He says, the dark night of the soul, this phenomenon describes a malady. Did I say that correct? A malady? Is that right? Okay. Which is a problem uh, that the greatest of Christians has suffered from time to time. It was the malady that provoked David to soak his pillow with tears. It was the malady that earned for Jeremiah the, I don't know, how do you say that? sobriquet. Something. I'm not smart enough to read this stuff, but it means nickname, all right? It earned Jeremiah the nickname, the weeping prophet. It was the malady that so afflicted Martin Luther that his melancholy threatened to destroy him. This is no ordinary fit of depression, but it is a depression that is linked to a crisis of faith, a crisis that comes when one senses, that's an important word, senses the absence of God or gives rise to a feeling of abandonment by him. In writing to the Corinthians in a second letter, Paul reminds the church that the treasure we have from God is a treasure that is contained not in vessels of gold and silver, but in what the apostle calls jars of clay. Our Lord himself was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Grief is a legitimate emotion, at times even a virtue, but there must be no place in the soul for bitterness. The presence of faith gives no guarantee of the absence of spiritual depression. However, the dark night of the soul always gives way to the brightness of the noonday light of the presence of God. If you're here today and you are struggling with spiritual depression and for that reason feel like a second-class Christian, notice the heroes of the faith who have experienced something very similar. You know, if, if there was a sermon that I could I could put in a box and give to you and say, open in case of an emergency, this might be that sermon. And so I want to encourage you to take good notes or at least bookmark this date so that if spiritual depression comes back upon you, you can come back and remember the truth of God that we have learned in this psalm to encourage you in the midst of that spiritual Depression, and so the question I want to ask as we look at this uh, at this topic is: is what should we do as believers in the midst of spiritual depression? How should we respond? And the psalmist models this for us. And the first thing that we see is that when we are in the midst of spiritual depression, we should pour out our soul before the Lord. The psalmist actually uses this terminology in verse four to pour out my soul, but he models it in the surrounding verses. Verse one, he says, as a deer pants for a flowing stream, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, if you have grown up in Christian circles, if you have sung the song, as a deer pants for the water, you probably picture this verse something like this picture right here. You know, something that is refreshing and nourishing and, you know, harmonious and wonderful. But if you notice in this psalm, it does not say that the deer is drinking of the water. The deer is panting for the water and cannot find the water. And so if there was a picture of this verse, it would not be so much this picture, but it would be this picture right here. (laughs) And you may say, that is a very ugly and disturbing picture. But that's exactly what the psalmist is trying to communicate. That he is in a very very difficult and thirsty situation with his soul in which he is seeking the nourishment of God in the midst of dryness for his soul. Have you ever been there? And so the psalmist is honestly pouring out his soul before the Lord. This is reaffirmed as he goes on and he says, "What shall I come? When shall I come and appear before God?" He feels distance from the Lord. Have you ever been there? He continues in verse three and says, "My tears have been my food day and night." And so we may skip over this quickly, but what we learn even just from these few words is that he was weeping day and night. It, not only that, but, but potentially he wasn't even eating because he says, my tears were my food. That's what I was consuming. And so if you have ever been so depressed that you feel like no one could possibly understand what you are going through, I would challenge you that this psalmist does. This psalmist is in the depth of woe in the midst of depression He goes on and says, uh, While they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? I'm not sure if in this verse he's talking about his tears or if he's talking about his enemy, but both of them say, Where's your God? You say your God is a refuge. You say your God is a comfort. You say your God is strength. You say your God is joy. Look at you. Where is your God? The honesty continues. Verse seven, he says, "Deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me." In the Bible, the sea represents chaos, and submission, submersion in water often represents God's judgment. For example, in the times of Noah. I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean and had waves crash up against you, but have you ever had one that got really big and crashed over your head? Right? It. it Thrush you down. And that's what the psalmist is saying here, that these waves are breaking over me, these waves of affliction, these waves of despair are coming over me again and again and again. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? If you remember, I opened by saying I love how honest and raw these psalms are. But one of the things that I love about the psalms, and I've said this to several people, is that the psalms many times are unbiblical. <laughs> if you look in this passage right here, he says, um, he says, why have you forgotten me? And yet there are many times in the Old Testament and when the Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so when this psalmist writes, why have you forgotten me, the theology police could come out and say, no, 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 that's not true. God has not forgotten you. But you see, in this passage, the psalmist is expressing real emotions, real emotions in which he feels like the Lord has forgotten him. You see, The psalmist is expressing emotions that are real to him, even if biblically they're not true. There's a woman named Jane, um, also known Nightbird. She is a a Christian woman who was a, a worship leader at a church, and she recently was on America's Got Talent, if any of you watch that show. And so she has become somewhat famous. But on New Year's Eve 2019, you think a day of celebration, New Year's Eve 2019 she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and tumors have infiltrated her lungs, her liver, her lymph nodes, and her spines, and so it's not very good. After receiving this diagnosis, her husband told her that he didn't love her anymore and left her. She moved out to California uh, for 16 weeks of an aggressive treatment, and it seemed successful at the time, but the cancer had returned. As a, as a musical artist, you can imagine she's very uh, poetic and, and very uh, uh, very um, just, uh, how would I say, just, just very flowery in her description of things. And she writes this blog post uh, after going through all of these things. She says, after the doctor told me I was dying and after the man I married said that he didn't love me anymore, I chased a miracle in California and 16 w- weeks later I got it. The cancer was gone. It's back now, but it was gone for the time. She said, I spent three months propped up against the wall. On nights that I could not sleep, I laid in the tub like an insect, staring at my reflection in the shower knob. I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up under my robe on the tile. The bathroom floor became my place to hide where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and eventually doze off, happy to be asleep, even with my head on the toilet. I've had cancer three times now, and I've barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God, that he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. But one thing I know for sure is this, he can never say that he did not know me. And I love this. It's, it's long, but man, it's so good. She says, I am God's downstairs neighbor, banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat and let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I have told him I wanted to die and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers, tears roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise and sunset. Call me bitter if you want to, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God for i have seen him in rare form i have felt him exhale laid in his shadow squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout quote i'm sad too and then she finishes by saying call me chosen blessed sought after call me the one who god whispers his secrets to i am the only i am the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden for me i have heard it said that some people can't see god because they won't look low enough. And it's true. If you can't see him, look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. There's a, (laughs) sorry. There's a, there's a lot of this blog. It's unbiblical, but it's true and honest emotions. So don't quote me on this. Don't tweet this. Don't Say Pastor Dan said this, you need to be unbiblical at times. You need to express your honest emotions before the Lord, even if they are unbiblical. I mean, think of it this way. If one of my kids was feeling like I didn't love him, I would want him to come and tell me that even though it's completely untrue, I'd do anything for my kids. God is your heavenly father. He wants he already knows what you're feeling anyways. It's not going to be a surprise. He wants you to communicate, to, to, to spill out your soul, to be honest with yourself, to be honest with God, to tell him what you are feeling. If you feel like he's abandoned you, even though it's not true, tell him you feel that. Don't do it with a clenched fist in rebellion, but in a moment of brokenness and humility, say, Lord, this is how I feel. And so this is what the psalmist says teaches us. The first step in the midst of our spiritual depression is to pour out our soul, every drop of it, even if it's not biblically true. You can do this in journaling. That's how I do it. You can do this in counseling. You can do this in prayer. You can do this a number of ways. But pour out your soul before the Lord. That's the first step. The second step is to remember, to remember for your soul. What you'll see in the midst of this psalm is that um, the psalmist is having a conversation with himself between his, his head and his soul, uh, not being dualistic. Just, he has this conversation between his mind and his heart. And so he's talking to his heart in a lot of the, the time of it. But look at verse 4 with me. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. That's what we just talked about. That's just what we saw him model Pouring out of the soul. He says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping. Festival, And then skip down later to the end of verse six. He says, therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar." You see there twice, he says, I remember, I am reminding myself of these things. And what is he reminding himself of? He's reminding himself of a time that he was in the house of the Lord, worshiping with the people of God. We don't know why he is in the land beyond the land of Jordan, away from the city of Jerusalem, but he is there for some reason, and he is longing and craving to come together and to worship with the people of God. This is something that is far different than what we hear from most Americans today. For most Americans, it's I will come to church if it is convenient. I will come to church if I don't have to wake up early. I will come to church if my kid does not have a soccer game. You see, for this psalmist, me and Jesus was not enough for him. Personal devotional time was not enough for him. It is good, it is right, it is helpful, but he needs the people of God. He needs to gather to worship with the people of God. What we do here on Sunday mornings is not just another appointment on your schedule. This is vital for the nourishment of your soul. And this is what he is longing for and reminding himself of is gathering together with the people of God to worship the Lord. And then verse eight, he continues to remind himself. He says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love or his loving kindness. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Here you see the psalmist remembering the words of the Lord to correct his unbiblical feelings that he had just poured out and that he continues to pour out. The psalmist is reminding himself that the Lord has commissioned his steadfast love to come upon the psalmist day and night. Do you know that is true of you, Christian? Whether you are on the heights of happiness or the depths of despair, the Lord God has commissioned his loving kindness to come upon you day after day after day after day. And the psalmist is reminding himself of these things. And so even at night as he weeps, he sings to the Lord and prays to the Lord who he says is his life. Um, this past week, I was driving in the car with one of my kids, and a uh, DJ was talking on the radio, and he had mentioned how, um, how he decided to do laundry, how he hadn't done laundry for 26 years. Uh, ever since he met his, his wife, he hadn't done laundry for 26 years, and so he decided to do laundry, and his wife was filming it. And they were just laughing as he tried to do laundry because he had forgotten how to do laundry. And so me and I can't remember which kid was with me, but we were laughing at this guy. And, and then my kids said, dad, when's the last time you did laundry? I'm like, oh my gosh, let me think. It's probably been 20 years. <laughs> probably been 20 years since I've done laundry. And, and the point is this, it's kind of tangential, but, but there are times I say, man, does, does my wife really love me? I mean, does she, you know, I think you ask those questions. Does she love me for who I am, all my goods and bads and things like that? But then I I remember all that she does for me out of love. Uh, She does my laundry for 20 years. (laughs) She makes me breakfast almost every morning just to love me. She makes dinner. She shovels the driveway. It's true. She stays up later than she wants to just because I want her to, to spend time with me. And as I remember the ways that my life, my wife has loved me, I remember she does love me. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. The psalmist is, is saying, man, does, does God remember me? Does God love me? Does God care for me? And he he remembers. He remembers the joy of worshiping amongst the people of God and the delight of his soul. It was to be in that sweet communion. But he also remembers the commissioning of the Lord to send his steadfast love upon him day after day after day after day. And so if you are wondering if God has left you, if he has forsaken you, I encourage your mind to remind your heart of all the ways God has been faithful and loved you throughout your life, even today. And so just to recap, uh, when you are in the funk of spiritual depression, pour out your soul before God honestly, even if it gets a bit unbiblical. But then remind your soul of your enjoyment of God and the promises of God to love you day after day after day. And the third and final thing that the psalmist models for us here is that we must preach to our souls. One pastor called this a psalm, the schizophrenic psalm. Because in this psalm, the psalmist starts questioning himself and talking to himself. You see this here in verse 5. Look there with me. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Literally, why are you raging or growling inside of me? It's as if the the psalmist with his head is interrogating his soul and saying, given the truths of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the wonder of God, why are you cast down? And then he exhorts his own soul. And he says, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You know, if someone is in a spiritual depression, the person it is hardest on is not their friends. It is not their family. It is the person that is in spiritual depression. Nobody wants to be out of spiritual depression any more than the person who's in spiritual depression. And here you see this from the psalmist. This is the longing of his heart. He's trying to shake himself out of this spiritual depression to enjoy the intimacy of God again. And he says, to his soul. Hope in God. He does not say hope in your circumstances to get better. He does not say hope in your ability to get yourself out of depression. He says hope in God because it is God who is faithful to his promises. It is God who will restore inside of you a song of praise. His hope of getting out of spiritual depression does not lay in himself, but in God, because God has not changed. His promise of steadfast love is still true. He is still the rock, as the psalmist says here, the rock of his salvation. And is still God who will save us to the uttermost. Now, if talking to yourself is not weird enough, go down to verse 11. See if it sounds familiar to you. Verse 11, he says... Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. If that sounds familiar, it should because it's the exact same of what we just read a few minutes ago up further in the psalm the psalmist is saying the same thing to himself time and time and time again, because it's not like you just say this one thing and all the spiritual depression just magically goes away. You have to repeat it to yourself time and time and time again, the truths of God, the wonder of God, the love of God, the hope of God. And so the psalmist is exhorting his own soul with the truths of the gospel. You know, one way that I preach to myself the truths of the gospel is in song. Um, that's what psalms are, right? They're, they're songs. But, but you can probably think of this as well. There are different seasons of my life where I have grasped on to a certain uh, worship song, and I have clung to it for a dear life. I remember when I was in college, I was on academic probation, afraid of what my future might hold, and, and, and this song kept coming back to me called Isaiah 41 that we sang in our youth group, or sorry, in our college group. And in that song, uh, it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the ways will not overcome you. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. There's more to the song than that. But the point is so often songs and verses that we memorize in Awana or in other stages of our life are those things that we use to preach to ourselves, to remind us of the truth of the love of God in Christ. Around here we say to ourselves that you must preach the gospel to yourself time and time again. You must remind yourself that Christ has died and paid for all of your sins, every single one. He has paid for in full and the reason he has done this is because he loves you. And then he rose from the dead to give us newness of life, to give us victory over the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And we have to remind ourselves that we are God's children. We are his beloved. And we have to tell this to ourselves time and time and time again because we so often believe a false gospel. We so often believe things that are not true that only plummet us deeper into spiritual depression. Paul Tripp says it this way. He says, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. Do you get that? No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You are in an unending, incredibly important conversation with your soul every moment of every day. You're saying things to you that shape your desires and actions and theology. And so let me ask, what sermon are you preaching to yourself in times of despair what gospel are you preaching to yourself preach to yourself the good news of the gospel of christ knowing the grace and mercy and love of god let me end with this uh earlier i read to you i did a lot of reading today sorry you're not supposed to do that when you preach but sometimes people say it better than i can um but in that blog post about Jane, uh, who's 30 and had cancer three times. Um, she came on the show. America's got talent and and got very famous. But, but when she walked on stage and I post a link, it's going to pop up on our Facebook page around 11 o'clock. Um, but, but she walks on stage and she's just confident and she's happy and, and she's at peace. And it's, it's very obvious. It's a joy that you cannot, you cannot fake. And, um, Honestly, every time I watch this video, my eyeballs sweat a little bit, or a lot of bit. Uh, but the judges start interviewing her, and as they dig in, they find out um, that not, as, not all is well with her. Uh, we find out later, again, that she has a 2% chance of living, and yet she comes on the stage with such joy and such peace that it's just, it blows the judges away, it blows the people away there in the auditorium. During the interaction, she says, it's so important for people to know that I'm so much more than the bad things that happened to me. And you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. And then she goes on to sing a song. And it's not explicitly Christian, but the refrain is basically, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay, it's all right to be lost sometimes. And it is a beautiful song, Gospel Coalition, which some of you are familiar with, picked it up and wrote an article on it. And they asked the question, how can a woman with a 2% chance sing a song that says it's okay? And uh, the article ends saying, America is fascinated with Nightbird, not simply because her story is compelling, but because she seems to possess something elusive we all want. Or rather someone, the God who knows our pain, meets us in our pain and redeems our pain. With this God, we too can have a hope that allows us to sing. Along with Nightbird, the unlikeliness of refrains in a world of sickness and death, it's okay. Okay. Um, This week, so many of your faces (laughs) flashed through my mind because you've welcomed me. You've welcomed me into those sacred moments of spiritual depression. If you're struggling with spiritual depression today, I want you to know it's okay because we live in a fallen world. If you struggle with the dark night of the soul, it's okay because God's promises are still true. If you struggle with not being okay, it's okay. Because one day, <laughs> Jesus is going to come back and make all the unokay things good again. But it's not okay if you allow yourself to stay there. It's okay if you don't fight. It's not okay if you do not fight against the spiritual depression. It's okay if you're there for a moment, want to be honest and transparent, but it's not okay to stay there and not to fight against it. In this song, God is calling you, when you are in those moments of spiritual depression, to pour out your soul to God, even if it gets a bit unbiblical, to remind yourself of the joy of worshiping the Lord and how it satisfies your soul amongst the people of God and how God has promised and commissioned his love upon you day after day after day. And don't forget to preach to your soul the joy of the gospel of grace that even in the midst of despair, you are God's beloved. He cherishes you. He delights in you. He loves you. He even likes you. He will never leave you or forsake you, no matter how you feel. This is true. God is with you always for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful for this psalm. I've never been that deep into despair, that deep into depression. But many of the people I love here have been. Many of them are. And Lord, I thank you that, that they're not alone. that this is an experience that many of Christians endure. And Lord God, I pray that you will empower them by your grace to fight the good fight, to not sit in the puddle of despair, but that they, again, God, would be honest with you and would cling to your promises cling to the gospel and declare their hope in you, Lord. Tell their soul to hope in you, knowing that you will once again bring them into the sweetness of fellowship with you, either in this life or for all eternity to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.